Hey friends, welcome back to the WellMind podcast. I have been away from the platform for a little while this spring, uh, but I'm back and I'm so excited to share this episode with you. If you are new to the WellMind, then thank you for joining us. And if you're a returning listener, I also welcome you. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. Uh, the Well Mind is a space for meaningful conversations about a broad range of wellness-related topics, and this episode is a beautiful example of that mission. Elizabeth DeBolt is a professor and researcher from Liberty University, and she has really invested herself in the topic of maternal mental health for a number of years now. I'm going to share a little bit about how Elizabeth and I first connected as we open up our conversation in the show, but I do want to highlight the organization CAPS, the Christian Association for Psychological Studies, that I was able to get connected with this past academic year. And that's where Elizabeth and I met. As a counselor, educator, and clinical counselor, I am always seeking out solid, evidence-based research and resources. I'm also keenly interested in the practice and process of Christian integration with mental health. The Christian Association for Psychological Studies has been so refreshing for me in both of these areas. As an organization, they emphasize the importance of rigorous scholarship and they hold to the rock solid truth of the gospel. So I look forward to growing my engagement with this organization and will hopefully be featuring some future guests on the show that are also connected in with CAPS. Now, let's get into my conversation with Elizabeth. In this episode, we explore the important topic, the critical topic really, of maternal mental health. The knowledge and compassion that Elizabeth has for this topic is truly outstanding. She's presented on this topic multiple times at national conferences, and I feel really blessed to share her with the WellMind community. We all know pregnancy and birth are truly life-altering experiences. It brings change to roles, responsibilities, but also identity and relationships. There is, at least what I perceive, to be a good amount of focus on mom and baby from a physical health and wellness perspective. And there's lots of resources on helping moms and dads prepare for the arrival of baby. But a lot less attention is given to the shifts in identity and the impacts this experience of birth and becoming a mom has on emotional well-being. And if you're thinking that maternal mental health is a just for moms episode, I'm gonna ask you to suspend that perspective and listen in. Because this episode truly is for everyone. Moms, dads, those planning for and hoping to be parents in the future, anyone that knows and cares about a mom or a dad, and certainly all those in the church community that desire to support Christian parents. So please join me in welcoming Elizabeth DeBolt in episode 38, Maternal Mental Health. Hello, 
Elizabeth. Uh, welcome to the WellMind podcast. It is awesome to have you here. Um, I've been looking forward to our conversation really since CAPS. Uh, we were we met for the first time down in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, at the Christian Association for Psychological Studies. And it was such a great conference. I really enjoyed that. And I think one of the best things that emerged from that was you and I getting connected and uh, planning out uh, our show for today. Yes. Well, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk about this, um, to talk about a topic that I think is incredibly relevant um, and really under under discussed, a topic that mm-hmm. often goes hidden. And so I'm very excited. Yes, it was a great opportunity how the Lord just orchestrated that. And thank you so much. Yeah, for sure. This was this was a God designed thing because we were we were both at the conference. We were just like getting in line for food, I think. Yes, and we yeah. just kind of struck up a conversation. And uh, yeah, so you were one of the presenters actually at Caps. I was just attending, you know, kind of just just hanging out. But you were you were there presenting on this topic of maternal mental health, and that just really sparked an interest for me. Um, and we can get into why kind of that's important to me too. Yeah. Um, but I think it would probably be good if we, before we dive too far into things, just to have you do a little introduction of yourself to our, our audience, to the WellMind community. Uh, yeah, just give us a little uh, peek behind the curtain. Who is Elizabeth and and uh, what what brings you to this topic? Absolutely. Um, who is Elizabeth? That depends on the day, I feel like. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, Ben, I was presenting at the conference. Uh, this is the second time that I presented at a CAPS conference, um, both times presenting on the topic of maternal mental health. Um, the first time focusing more also on the ways that we can address mental health within um, the systems that are in place, um, including both counseling, um, obstetric situations, uh, the ways that we can kind of bridge that gap for mothers. And then this time focusing more on maternal mental health and some of the disorders that um, accompany that time period. And I I hate to use the word disorder, but some of the struggles, I feel like it's a more accurate way of describing it. Um, and how those can range. I think there's one that gets the most um, spotlight. And I think that does an injustice in some ways as we talk about maternal mental health into recognizing the holistic nature of what goes into um, maternal identity. Um, But a little bit about me. So I have been, um, I've been in some form or fashion working with Liberty University for about the last mm, probably eight to nine years. And that's looked from a variety of different aspects from being on campus and having the roles of a researcher, um, performing research related to um, different topics, everything um, from adolescence um, to just a variety, a variety of different um, focuses. I taught as a TA and a GA at Liberty um, and then just continued on that research focus. The Lord actually transitioned us and I am able to now teach online with Liberty um, as an adjunct. And then continue doing yeah. research, which is kind of where my focus is right now. That's fantastic. Yeah, I know. I know that you and Liberty have had a, a interwoven history. We're as, married. As we've talked We're just about married. That. Yeah. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's been a really good space for you. It sounds like professionally to continue to uh, explore and and examine the areas that are important to you, and still, uh, you know, in a another way contribute to the growth and development of a lot of uh, students that are going through the programming there. Yeah, I've counted a real privilege. Um, 
you know, you always ask the Lord, I think in different points of your life, where do you want me? Where can I glorify you most? Um, where do I see you opening doors? And God has continued to allow that to be liberty. And so I, I do count it a privilege. Um, yeah, I'm very thankful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So so this topic of maternal mental health has been one that you've spent, I mean, a lot of time on and, and presenting at a national conference like CAPS uh, is a, a super neat privilege to be able to do something like that too. And knowing that you've been there twice to present, um, I think really speaks to um, just how important this topic is to you. So yeah. maybe we could, maybe we could uh, start there and, and just... Um, share, yeah, what is it about maternal mental health that has really sparked this passion and, and interest for you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, it was actually during my master's degree when I was working on counseling degree, and I took a women's counseling course, um, and I just was starting to look at the lifespan of women's mental health. Um, and there was just a brief snippet, not a ton, but talking about what would be considered that perinatal period. So when we say that, we're looking at both that time frame that's encompassing pregnancy and that time postpartum. So kind of that holistic period of that transition into motherhood. Um, and it was talking about some of the challenges, um, talking about some of the physiological challenges, but also mental health challenges and how those two relate. Um, but it was such a brief snippet, I remember, in that course as we're looking at the, you know, more or less lifespan yeah. of a woman. Um, and yeah. yet what stood out to me significantly was the fact, you know, a vast majority of women do become mothers at some point in their life. Um, and what a transitionary period this is, a transitionary period, which we can talk about in a minute, but just this whole identity is shifting and the dynamic changes that she's experiencing pretty much on every single level. Um, it's just the whole idea that she is, her whole life is changing. Her body's changing. Her responsibilities are changing. Um, psychosocially, she's changing. Um, it just struck me as such a significant period in her lifespan. Um, it's funny because, you know, we spend a lot of time sometimes talking about adolescence and that period of life. Um, and I know that, you know, they're dissolving a crisis of identity during that time. And yet you think about that period in a woman's life in which she's really resolving a crisis of identity with the responsibilities that are placed on her as a mother, with society's expectations, family's expectations, and the long-term effects that can have upon her, her child, her marital relationship or with significant mm -hmm. other, just her whole, more or less her whole life, her whole ecological yeah. system, how that can be affected by that one snippet, that one period of her life. And, um, you know, research shows that some of these maternal mental health disorders that develop, you know, prenatally and postpartum, we're talking years that they can affect her and they can affect mm -hmm. the bonding, the attachment, um, even just the cycle, even just um, the development cognitively of her child. Mm -hmm. So these have mm -hmm. huge implications. And yet it felt like something we were just glossing over. Um, something yeah. that, you know, they say once a mother, always a mother. Um, and yet why do we not focus more on this period of her life, um, this transitionary period? So I kind of made that more or less my topic of research during my master's degree. Um, I continued to pursue that then on into doctoral studies. Um, and, you know, I did an interesting, an interesting shift, but I chose in between um, 
the PhD to get an EDS um, with the focus on mm. curriculum and instruction. And my reason for that is that talking with those in social work, talking with those, um, talked with a great resource who teaches med students um, actually at Liberty's uh, medical school. And it's just not okay. discussed. Um, providers are not educated. Counseling students receive little, um, little, True. yeah, no, I mean, I'm sure you can speak into this. It's just not a prime yeah. area that we specifically address. It's more of a cognate, a specialty. Um, and yeah. yet you think about all these people that women are encountering and how if we could better educate the people in the system that are addressing these women, that are seeing these women on a daily, or seeing them, I shouldn't say daily, but on a more regular basis. Because um, yep. it yep. takes a lot for a woman to get into the counseling office. So while the clinical mm-hmm. side is huge, what are all the factors that could preemptively help her in this transition? Um, so I did. I chose to get an EDS so that I could understand how to how to write, how to teach, how to talk about these topics in a way that is informative and helpful and meaningful. Um, and then you add to it the fact that um, I am a mother. At the time during my master's, I don't think children were even on the table. I think that we were. I was going to ask yeah. about that because it, it sounds like this topic really predates you in the transition that you went through it to become a mother. So. How did all of your research and studies and things, I guess, inform or influence uh, your process um, when when you first found out, hey, I'm, I'm expecting? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, and I had walked with other women through this process. I kind of had that bird's eye view, um, getting to see from the outside what they were experiencing. Um And, you know, it's so different when you're not in it. I think it's a lot easier to recognize things, to point things out. Um, And that's a topic that's huge as we even look at how we can help women. Um, But just watching them kind of walk through this process of pregnancy and postpartum was fascinating to me. Um, I also noticed just um, there was just a lack, a lack there as well, um, specifically to their emotional well-being. And then, you know, like you said, I... The Lord blesses. We end up pregnant. I'm a mom to three now, um, but I end up pregnant for the first time. And it's funny. You know, we always say that we can preach to everyone else, but it's really hard to look in the mirror and say it to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I knew all this. So I wasn't actually really focused on caring for this side of myself um, because this is the first time I've ever had a baby. Like what in the world? Like what should I expect? How can I do this well? Like pregnancy, how do I, how do I manage uh, the professional side of my responsibilities while wow, all the physiological pregnancy um, and then postpartum, yeah. you know, what I noticed very quickly was the tangible reality of just that change in who I was. And I think for me, some of the emotions I experienced while I am so thankful, um, there was never, I've never had you know, per se, a clinical diagnosis of anything. I think I could recognize um, symptoms that were um, areas that I needed to address, areas that um, mm-hmm. could lead to maladaptive behavior, um, areas that emotionally I felt a huge shift. Um, as a mother, I think isolation is such a key topic as we talk about this. Um, yeah. And you, re- yeah. I really felt that. And so the more I became a mother, and I say that in a weird sense, the more children I had, the more I realized, wow, this topic is so crucial within the church, within mental health um, arenas, within even just gynecological arenas. Um, It's just so important and it's not talked about enough. I remember distinctively asking a mom um, that I knew just a friend and I asked her, 
and this was before I had babies, I said, how are you doing postpartum? And her gut reaction was, excuse me, I'm not depressed. And I was taken aback for a minute. We've done mm-hmm. such a disservice to that fourth trimester that women walk through that even when we mm-hmm. say words like postpartum, there's an automatic rebuttal. There's a buffering factor that takes place. Um, there's a um, desire not to not to be associated with something that seems negative in association to their mm-hmm. motherhood. Um, so I think mm-hmm. all of those things combined have really led me on this journey to um, to make this such an important and just a meaningful topic in my life. Yeah. Yeah. So let's um, (laughs) just pause for a moment to uh, just define maybe some of those words, because I um, like, like you said, postpartum, there's the definition of what that is, but then there's also the connotation or what kind of people's perception of it is. And you've used, uh, you know, prenatal, perinatal, uh, those kind of things. So, so, not not to belabor that, but just so that we're all on the same page with so what these things mean. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. So could you walk through kind of maybe what what you see as like really the essential terms that we need to know as we're discussing this topic? Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's just walk at it, walk through it from just a physiological standpoint. We're not going to look at some of the terms, right. you know, just mental health related. But like when we say the yeah. word um, prenatal, most people know that that's going to be that time of pregnancy from initial, like the beginning of gestation until all the way up to birth. Um, and then we have the word um, peripartum which does play into some of the things that we could talk about as far as depression and as far as diagnosis. Um, But if we're looking at this from an actual physiological standpoint, because it's used a little bit different when we look at diagnoses, but peripartum is going to encompass those first four weeks. So when you think about things that we could talk about, like baby blues, that's kind of that peripartum Mm -hmm. period. It's a very unique time of healing, a unique time of transition. So that's kind of your peripartum period. Um, A word that I like to use a lot is perinatal. Um, and we briefly okay. touched on it and I like it because, you know, that whole identity piece that is starting in some ways before pregnancy, but specifically perinatal encompasses pregnancy all the way through that first year postpartum. Um, and I don't want us to somehow think that after your six week appointment, um, postpartum, that's it. You're done. You're like, you're healed or something like you are this new person and you're ready to go with life. Um, no, to recognize that it really is an extension well into that first year. Um, so when I talk, I like to use that word a lot. Um, and then also really, as we focus on that period after birth, we say postpartum. Um, there are other words that you can get into, but those are the key ones that you're going to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the essential ones. Yeah. And I like that the peri, you know, that kind of, um, uh, that aspect of the word helps me because it it really encompasses the whole process, both pregnancy and afterbirth, mm-hmm. and and that, of course, as a mental health counselor, you were pointing out peripartum. That's that's the new term, I guess, within the DSM mm-hmm. model for diagnosis. It, I think it used to be yeah. postpartum depression, but now right. it is peripartum depression. And that that's a recognition that uh, mental health um, is happening <laughs> in, in, and we needs to be attended to during the pregnancy too. It's not Absolutely. just um, after, after birth. Um, and so I, I think while there's hopefully, you know, more that we're going to talk about that, that can really 
um, expand our understanding of this. I think even that shift is helpful because it's like, oh yeah, that um, women experience fluctuations in mood, stress, uh, distress during pregnancy time as well. It's not, this isn't strictly mm-hmm. like, oh, I've, I've given birth and now my body is um, adjusting or something like that. Yeah. And I agree. I completely, you know, I applaud that change because that is a more recent change and it's a recognition of the fact, again, of the holistic nature and of the uniqueness that encompasses this time period of a woman's life rather than just to call it a major depressive disorder, um, to be able to recognize that onset of it that's occurring, you know, prenatally or postpartum. Um, mm-hmm. We won't get into my beefs about the time frame allotment of four weeks, but um, of onset of symptoms, but I do think yeah. that it's a great, I think it's a great recognition that we're making strides in. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I tell my students this and I talk about this with clients, like the DSM is an imperfect system. I mean, it, it's a, it's a system that provides yeah. a structure, but, um, you know, it, it's, it is what it is for now. And I'm sure that there will continue to be updates and changes as, as folks like you, uh, continue to, to help with the research and, and add to the literature. Yeah. There's some great work being done by some um, organizations we can talk about later, but yeah, just lobbying for that recognition and, um, just care that women need But Yeah. It's a great guideline. It's a good starting point. Yeah. So, um, I know that, uh, a lot of attention is paid to, uh, mom's physical health, um, and just the whole physiological process, um, of pregnancy and preparing for birth, you know, there's classes and, and, uh, learning opportunities and practice and, uh, spouses can be involved. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of attention that gets paid to that. And then also, I think there's a lot of attention of just like paying attention to what to expect when you're bringing, uh, a baby home for the first time and just planning some of that out, knowing what's Mm -hmm. normal, those kind of things. But I don't know that we're paying a lot of attention to, the mental health process. So how, how do you even begin that kind of a conversation with a mom about attending to or paying attention to uh, their, their emotional health, their, their, their wellness from a, a mental health standpoint? Yeah, no, that's great. Um, and I would completely uh, just recognize what you said is very valid. Um, and having walked through it personally, I can attest that so much attention, you know, a woman is going to be briefed throughout her pregnancy on everything from gestational diabetes to, um, you know, early rupture of membranes of water, um, all these different physiological aspects. Um, and I think it really depends on your practice. I'm seeing some great holistic care and, um, more midwifery settings, um, more birth center settings, but you got to think too about when you're meeting with your OB, the time allotment they have with you usually is between seven to 10 minutes. Um, so they're really covering what they think are the most crucial crucial topic. So it's not, um, that I don't think that there's a lack of care there. It's just, um, you know, a matter of priorities. Um, and yet when you go to these classes, because we did them, we did, you know, 
pre the birthing class, the breastfeeding class, all of these things, I cannot for once, and it's a topic that's important to me, so I would have remembered a discussion about um, maternal mental health, about emotions, about what to expect, what is normal, what is not normal, anything to prepare me for um, another topic too, but just those shifts, the dynamic hormone shifts that accompany a lot of these um, feelings and emotions um, during the prenatal and postpartum period. Um, so yeah, so as we're talking about this, you know, there's so many things that I'd say would be great for us to be able to address and infiltrate and be able to change. But when we're looking to be helpful to someone who's around us, when we're looking to be helpful to a spouse, when we're looking to be helpful to a friend or as a church community, I think just recognizing who she is, not forgetting the mother in the process of this. Um, there's so many times that we focus so much on the baby. Um, that's the first thing. How is the baby? How are they sleeping? How are they eating? You know, all these great questions, of course. Um, but for a woman who this is her entire life right now, like she has not left the four walls within her home. Like those questions are great. But again, we're completely neglecting the person who's caring for the baby. Um, we're neglecting her well-being. Yeah. We're neglecting the emotional shifts that she's adjusting to as she's incredibly sleep deprived and trying to meet the needs of this new human whom she's never met. Um, so as we talk about this, I think one of the things I think is most crucial is just remembering the mom, remembering who she who she was, who she's becoming, um, the process of who she is. So I think the first thing to do is just to address her. Um, make sure that she's known, make sure that she's seen. Um, and I think as we genuinely address a question of how, how are you, you know, you change the intonation instead of just, how are you like, how truly, how are you doing? Um, how are you? Mm -hmm. And then you could fill in the blanks and ask those open ended questions. Um, but just as we start to break down some of those barriers, we just, I think really need to get our focus and shift it back because if you have a healthy mommy, you really do more than likely have a very healthy baby. Um, so just shifting that yeah. focus is, I think, a huge first step. Hopefully that answered the question, um, maybe in a round yeah. way. Yeah, no. Yeah. No, I, I no, I think that's a great place to start because it, it's just about initiating the conversation. And so many times we don't even know how to start. We don't we don't know, well, what you know, I don't want to um, you know offend. Mm -hmm. I don't want to pry, but I want to be encouraging. I want to be supportive and recognizing, oh, like I, I, I do need to ask about this. But like you had pointed out, I think earlier, you said that you, you were talking with, with someone and, and you asked them how they were doing postpartum yeah. and they had a, they had a reaction to that, right? Yeah. And there was no ill intent or there was no belief on your part that they were struggling. You were, you were just asking Yeah. And, at the same time, right? They they took it a different way. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I think too, that's where, you know, you can kind of in communication, we talk a lot about, you know, OIC, like observe, interpret, clarify. And I think sometimes it begins with just some simple observations, um, especially as those who are closest. Um, I definitely don't want some random sweet lady in the church coming up being like, you got the bags under your eyes. I'm like, I'm very well aware of that. Um, <laughs> But, um, yeah. you know, just these yeah. observations of those who are closest to her, which we can talk about in a bit, it's just that's her safety net. That's her protective factor yeah. um, right there. And so those closest being able to speak into that and recognizing to um, just what is just that this is a normal transitionary period. Um, so recognizing that 
she's going to have emotions. She's going to have experiences, but helping her keep open communication about those, especially with those closest to her is so crucial. So crucial to helping her be able to self-evaluate, helping in that self-evaluation. I'm having, you know, her, I mean, especially as a spouse, you know, that person best. Um, so Mm -hmm. I think those are important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, I do want to spend some focused time on the the spouse part. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and if it's okay, let's, since it's come up, let's just go there now. Um, you know, like, um, you, I think I shared with you, my wife and I, we have six kids of our own. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, like one of those pregnancies was a high risk pregnancy mm-hmm. because we had twins. Um, and so there were definitely times where it was like, I was more like present at appointments because they were just very frequent or, right. and then there were other times when I couldn't be present at appointments because it was like, well, somebody else has to watch the kids. Well, you know, we can't both be gone right. and, and go to the appointment. So then it's like, well, how did things go? Or what did you find out? And, you know, for me as a spouse, like I'm trying to navigate uh, the responsibilities, you know, to my wife, to my kids um, and, and in those kind of things. So I'm wondering, yeah, what, in what ways can, can husbands approach their wives uh, in, in a meaningful way when it comes to uh, checking in and supporting uh, her just emotional well-being during this time. Yeah. Um, you know, it research has found that the greatest barrier to postpartum depression or maternal mental health disorders is that spousal relationship. Um, the strength of it can be a key buffer and protective. Um, on the flip side, when there's strain and there's stress, that's one of the largest contributing factors to um, mm-hmm. maternal mental health disorders. Um, so no pressure, dads. No pressure. <laughs> yeah, um, no pressure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like you said, too, there's a difference sometimes between that first baby and, say, for like you, baby number five or six or for me, baby number three. Um, there, That's a dynamic, too, in and of itself as a mother is experiences subsequent um, babies and just that relationship and how, you know, it's going to look different from the first time that she walked through it to the third time. Um, The interaction of that spouse is going to look different. I think that there's some things that are really important for him to remember too, especially as we talk about those beginning points postpartum. Um, I'll jump back real quick to what you're saying about appointments prenatally. It's just being involved, you know, being present as much as possible. Um, not making her, you know, feel bad, but just letting her know, oh my goodness, it's a priority for me to take off to stay with our kids to make sure you get there. Um, helping her think through questions that she may have or helping her identify things that she may dis- um, need to discuss. Um, I think that's huge because, you know, it's so hard when you feel like you're trying to have this dynamic of, you know, balancing care for your wife, balancing care for your children. Um, that creates a lot of stress, which is a whole whole other topic about, you know, um, paternal depression, um, and how that's a real thing postpartum. Um, but as we look at those beginning days, um, after birth, there's a concept called primary maternal preoccupation. Um, and this is a time period in the weeks following postpartum where the mother is just really identifying with that infant. Um, she's really bonding with that infant and it can be a time where she's increasingly sensitive. Um, and I think the husband needs to be that buffer for her, especially during that time. Um, and you talk about laying a framework. If he can be that for her during that time, she just experiences, um, more or less thin skin. Um, she's easily, she can take criticism very easily. So recognizing, I hate to say it, but be careful with your words. Um, sure, be careful with sure. who you let in the home. Be careful with the interactions. You be that buffer to be able to say, no, like 
we're done. We've had enough. Thank you for the visit. Um, or to recognize, I really think, let me care for the baby. I love you. I think you would just think some time to rest or just to go out for a walk would be helpful. Or let's go on that together. You know, pursuing those, um, pursuing those needs that she has and doing it in a way that shows love and concern. Um, and you know, your spouse best reaching out in their love language is key. Don't listen to what Elizabeth says, but do it based on your spouse's needs. But, um, just recognizing that she is going to have a time where she needs support and care and protection. Um, and that heightened state of maternal preoccupation is very real. It doesn't make her crazy. It doesn't make her, um, it doesn't make these weird symptoms that need to be addressed. No, it's very natural. Um, it's very God given. It's very important. So facilitating that, um, and as calm and relaxed of a manner as possible is awesome. Super awesome. Yeah. 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 The word gentleness came to mind as you were, uh, as you were describing that of just like approaching any situation with a level of gentleness, mm-hmm. um, I think is, uh, just the compassionate, uh, and kind way of going about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, that speaks volumes, you know, um, even babies as young as one month old are in tune to the emotions of their parents. So what a great foundation to build for your child too, as you, you know, you set that foundation where they recognize that, um, just in their closeness with you, that gentleness, that care, that, um, that's so important, you know, especially as you're addressing just her well being as well. Yeah. So then, you know, kind of shifting then back, uh, to focus on mom, mm-hmm. what, what kind of things as, as a mom, as you're expecting and, and then, uh, during that postpartum period, like how do you differentiate <laughs> between, uh, what these normal fluctuations are sure. and something that, that might be more significant that, that could warrant, you know, like further, further discussion, you know, do, sure. does that make yes, sense? Yes, absolutely. And, um, I'm going to tag on to the beginning of that again. I just can't get past the fact of that whole concept of who she's changing and who she's becoming as she enters what is commonly referred to now as matrescence. Um, just a concept that an anthropologist brought back about in the sixties of just becoming a mother, um, and recognizing she's shifting. Everything about her life is shifting. Um, so recognizing that she is going to have emotional shifts and emotional stressors and, um, her friends might even change. Her support system might change her responsibilities and even working and that whole life that she has built Mm -hmm. is going to change. So I think there needs to be a lot of grace that mothers give themselves as they recognize, wow, like I have this enormous God-given responsibility and it's beautiful, but it is hard. It is incredibly hard. Um, And you add to it um, a whole, just a whole milieu of the changes. You know, birth is one of the most dramatic um, hormonal changes that a woman will experience in her entire life. Um, So just the dynamics of just physiologically what she's experiencing, you have um, deficiencies in every area that can affect how she, how she's feeling. Um, so recognizing that it's more than just a, a concept of I'm not good enough, or I'm failing in this area, just recognizing again, that the woman is holistic for her to see herself as a holistic person, I think is key. Now, when she's looking at things in her life that we kind of want to differentiate between absolutely normal part of motherhood and just a normal change. And then things that may be disconcerting or maladaptive. I think we want to look at the intensity 
Um, we want to look at the frequency um, and we want to look at how it affects our day to day and our relationships with those around us, especially our baby, especially those that we're closest to. Um, you know, so I think you could take any, if you want to more or less, for a lack of a better word, say symptom um, and discuss that, you know, what's her reaction to a colicky baby, um, which is a which is a risk factor for um, postpartum depression or anxiety as well. Um, you know, what's her reaction to that? Is it a sense of overwhelm that she cannot get past? Or is it a heightened sense in the moment that she then comes down off of and is able to process them through the next tasks of her day? Um, so again, that the intensity is incredibly, um, is an incredible factor to look at. Um, is, yeah. she, is she having moments where she's having regret over having a baby? Totally normal completely normal. You're not a bad mom. You're not a failure. You don't, this is not the trajectory of what it's going to look like for the next decades. Um, but recognizing that's normal, that's okay. But is that persistent? If you're continuing to feel that, um, if you're continuing to, to have, um, a topic that is not given a lot of attention is rage. Mothers have postpartum rage, um, just an anger that's lashing out, um, that's frequent, um, that feels uncontrollable, that even maybe sparks fear. Um, it's fascinating. A research study, I believe it was done by Yale, noticed that in mothers directly following birth, the sound of their baby's cry actually activated portions of their brain that's associated with OCD, um, that's prone to lighting up more or less, if you want to look at it that way, um, in response yeah. to OCD characteristics. However, completely normal, completely normal. These were healthy women with no mental health disorders, but just that natural response yeah. to her baby. Um, but when does it become something that keeps you up at night, that you can't sleep, mm -hmm. that causes um, physiological issues, um, a gastrointestinal issues? That's something that we'll see too. Um, just all these things that I think a woman at a certain point realizes this is, this is becoming a prominent part of my life and not in a helpful okay. way. So, yeah. 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 And there's so many good things to, for us to unpack with what you were talking about there that I, I do want to circle back to, yeah. but, but what I'm hearing in this moment too, is recognizing that, um, like, like all things, uh, mental health, it's on a continuum. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, and, and, <clears throat> And so when you're talking about the level of intensity for some of these things, it's it's not that, oh, I had this thought um, of regret or something like that, and now, oh, that, that means something bad is happening. No, that that's normal. We can normalize that. Um, and it's recognizing that if, I, if that thought is persistent mm -hmm. and I'm not able to move away from it, I'm not able to challenge that thought, I'm, I find myself kind of buying into it yeah. or believing dwelling that, on it. Um, yeah. yeah, dwelling, per perseverating on it. Okay. Now, now we've kind of moved outside of like, oh, this is normal fluctuations to something that is more maladaptive or could be mm -hmm. a cause for additional distress. So yeah, yeah I, I need to address that um, maybe in a more specific way. So, yeah. so there are lot, lots of good examples that you gave there of, of the, that spectrum or continuum. But the thing that I do want to circle back to really what you're talking about is this shift in identity that happens. Mm -hmm. And anytime, uh, identity is, is changing, uh, adjusting, growing, whatever the case may be, like there's, there's a lot of distress that can come along with that. A lot of questioning and, and wondering, you kind of pointed out like adolescence is a big time for identity development. Yeah. Um, and we kind of, I think 
are able to get our heads around that a little bit more because everybody goes through adolescence, but not everybody goes through uh, pregnancy and, and becoming a mom. So Correct. yeah, so so um, and it's it's unique to a person. So yeah, I do want to unpack that a little bit more when you're talking about some of the identity shifts that moms are experiencing. Um, if you could just speak to that uh, a bit more, I'd, I'd really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, I think this is such a topic that we forget in this discussion. So I know I've probably mentioned it a lot, but um, let's just again dive into it. And I think too, we need to realize that this is going to look different based upon the way that this woman became a mother. Um, there's some identity shifts that are unique to even IVF. Um, they're unique to that process. Adoption, that's a whole different process, um, a whole different shifting because you do think about it. Prenatally is a time of identity shift. In some ways, it's a preparation. Um, it's kind of the expectant of what's to come. Um, and sometimes women, while they have that expectation, the adoption process can happen very rapidly um, or very quickly. And so even that's a difference um, in how they process who they are as a mother, um, and even in that unique um, bringing in this child into your life. So um, just to recognize that, I don't want to disregard that if we have women that are listening. Um, but yeah, as we're looking at the identity shift component, you know, circling back to the concept of becoming a mother, um, that was discussed by Mercer. And that was this whole concept that this reorientation of a woman's life, but really coming to a point of what's called maternal attainment. Um, and I'm so glad that in some ways we have this to be a framework, but I'm glad we've moved past it because um, just okay. in research and study, maternal attainment, I, I would be hard pressed to see somebody who ever finally reaches that level of attainment. Um, I think her whole mentality behind that is that at some point you become comfortable in adopting this new role. And that's huge. That's incredibly important. But um, talking with people who have adult children, obviously my oldest is six. I have no grounds to speak here, but <laughs> they say, you know, that's a whole yeah. new level of parenting, a whole new level of persona of even who you are now as their parent. Um, but as far as like we're looking at this maternal identity shift, building off of Mercer's theory, we have Ruben and then we have many who have, and then probably the last 10 years really brought this topic back to the forefront. But um, Ruben was the one who's an anthropologist who just noticed how much a woman's life affected every level. You know, you think about anthropology and the purpose of what we're studying, just her culture, her circles, her um, social yeah. circles, her professional circles, um, how all of that affects who she is. And you think about all those shifts, like I'm sure moms right now are thinking, oh yeah, this has changed my ability to, to go out anytime and meet with people, my ability to meet deadlines. Think about it prenatally. I still remember somebody asking me when I was in a, a course, a grad course, and they were pretty much just more or less like, are you sure you should be taking this right now? You're pregnant. I'm like, of course I'm sure I should be taking this as I rush out about six times to go, you know, have morning sickness and vomit, you know, all these things. I'm like, oh, now I'm questioning, am I cut out for this again? Like, man, what a cycle women can get into during this process. Um, but you look at that whole prenatally time, she's kind of preparing mentally. And then unlike adolescence where you have years to walk through this process, she in nine months is thrusted into motherhood. Um, she's thrusted into this whole matrescence, becoming a mother. Um, and again, just the social stressors, the physical, the emotional, the accompany, even the process of childbirth, that can really even set a tone for, you know, just that development of who she is as a mother. Um, so 
Again, as we talk about matrescence, people might find it helpful to reference people like Raphael and Athen, O'Reilly. They've done a lot of great work. And again, recognizing the validity of you really are shifting. You really are taking on this new role, this new identity, um, a very dynamic identity. Um, and that sometimes there's even a mourning of what was, um, of who she was as she processes who she's becoming. So again, that's why matrescence is such a great, great word to use, just the becoming of a mother and how that is such a process, a continual process. Yeah. Yeah. You, I think, uh, had, had talked about just approaching that change process or, or this growth process with grace, mm-hmm. um, and, and being understanding, being patient yeah. with yourself. Um, are, I'm wondering about ways in which, uh, moms can go about like intentionally thinking about or, or, or kind of focusing on some of the shifts that they're experiencing with their identity, how like it's happening, mm-hmm. but, but, uh, I guess a common theme within the well mind is like, how do I bring intention to this thing? You know, this topic that we're talking about, whatever it is so that I can, I can, uh, cultivate my wellness mm-hmm. while, going through, you know, whatever it is. And in this case, this, this, these identity shifts. So what, what are your thoughts on, yeah, how to bring intention to this process? Absolutely. Um, I think back to just showing grace to yourself, you know, something that a lot of women will say was that motherhood brings about a whole new side of empathy, um, empathy for others, empathy for their child. I think just having, just being empathetic and recognizing in our own life, like we, we need grace. We need to recognize that we have these feelings and they're not wrong. Um, but I think intentionally addressing, you know, some people will plan, oh, this is what my um, maternity leave is going to look like. You kind of make a plan. I think if you can almost in your mind, make a plan, knowing that plans are fluid and flexible and often have to change, but to be able to talk through that, like, what does this, what do the first few weeks look like for me? What do I want them to look like? Um, do I think it's going to be important to surround myself with people that have been very important in this process? Or do I think just knowing my nature and my personality, this will be a time that I need to be more alone. I need to be left with, you know, more my spouse and making plans for that. Um, I think recognizing, reading books, talking to women who have walked through the process, um, that it's okay that if you have a different viewpoint on returning to work, um, it doesn't make you bad or good. Um, recognizing that your goals will shift. I think that's it too. Like as we talk about goals, lots of women have goals for their the actual physical portion of delivery and labor, but setting some sure, goals for yeah. yourself postpartum um, during the pregnancy period, what is something that's meaningful to you now? How do you incorporate that still into postpartum life because if you're not careful life can very quickly um Mm -hmm. become all about that baby um my Mm -hmm. sweet second who is by far my (laughs) my one who is making me the most like jesus is what we'll say um things were just you know it was such a hard time with her that i remember i did not even get my six-week appointment until about seven months postpartum um because it just, it never worked out. There wasn't a plan in place. I thought the plan would happen. Things kept falling through. There was always something that was more pressing, always something that's more pressing. So I think if you can look at it ahead of time and say, this is part of who I am that I love that I don't want to go away. 
whether that's you participate in physical exercise, um, whether that's you're part of a book club, I don't care. You know, it's important mm-hmm. to you yeah. um, and maintaining yeah. some of your identity in that way um, and knowing that it's okay if it pauses for a time, but don't feel like that has to yeah. be erased. Um, that's still part of yeah. who you are. So I think really just that um, setting your priorities, setting the things that help define who you are right now and who you want to be part of your motherhood is incredibly helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I I, I do. I, I mean, it, it makes so much sense as I'm listening to you say it. Like, it's like, well, of course, yeah. I mean, that 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 is a way of of uh, retaining aspects of your identity that are uh, of tremendous value mm-hmm. to you. That that you would plan that out. That you would plan to continue to engage or can participate or uh, connect with those, uh, those meaningful aspects of self, uh, because when we don't do that, I mean, this is universal. Right. Like when, when we get stressed, right. the first thing to go is attending to our own wellness and self care. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so much of identity is wrapped up in that. Um, and so then there's, there can be the sense of loss, um, and even resentment for it's like, well, now I, I don't get to do these things. Um, and and I think then that that fosters a, a maladaptive uh, process through the, these identity shifts. Yeah. So I, I I love that I love that way of bringing intention and planning out those critical aspects of self and and how how is this going to look you know and it's going to look different and that's where the flexibility comes in. Right? Yes, that yes. It, it, it's not it's not going to be the same, right. but. It can still it can still exist here, right? It can still exist, and there doesn't need to be um, guilt. You know, something that's really prevalent too that we're finding with millennial moms and Gen Z moms is there. There's this extreme feeling of always being on, always being present for your child, for your family, um, and obviously their biblical roots to wanting to obviously serve your family and to serve them well. But um, this pressure that we put on ourselves to the neglect of oneself, like what you were saying about stress, um, that society almost um, applauds. Um, You have almost the mommy martyrdom symptoms going on of just such neglect for yourself that you don't don't retain yourself in the process. Um, You don't retain who you are and who the unique person God has made you and the unique giftings that God has equipped you with and um, that are just an innate part of who you are as a mother and that actually help you better mother, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. And, and I, I think, um, you know, I like when I think about this as a, as a husband and as a father, like that, that's important too. Like that's another way that dads can be supportive of husbands, uh, being supportive of their wives is to like encourage that mm-hmm. you, you know, your partner, you know, yeah. what's important to her um, and so not waiting for her to ask for that, but to be an encourager of it and say, Hey, you know, I, I, I noticed like you, you haven't, uh, painted in a, uh, in a while. Why, why don't you take some time if that's something that's important? I'm just kind of pulling yeah, that out, yeah. but, you know, but yeah. I want you to go and do that. Uh, you know, let, let's set a, let's set a time this week where that that's just for you right. and you can do go and do that thing. I think yes. that's another uh, hopefully a way that, yeah. that spouses can 
support one another. Yes. Yeah. And facilitating that is so huge. Um, I joke with my husband sometimes. I'm like, it's just too much work to go on a date because I have to get the house clean. I have to get the dinner prepared. Like I'm exhausted by the time the date comes. Like I'm like, Ugh, okay, here we go. You know, type of thing. But, and I say that jokingly, my husband does a million things for our family, but the whole point of facilitating is huge and not doing it in a, um, you haven't done this. So I'm going to make it so you can not a negative, but a sense of like, you know, you, you just love, you love painting. And it's so beautiful when you get to participate in that. And so if it's okay with you, I've already arranged where I'm going to take off a little bit early from work. You know, there's a place that I've, you know, booked that you can go and do that. Um, you know, just really instilling that in such a where where you in such a scenario where you are showing gentleness and just concern and just genuine love for your spouse. Um, because, you know, she's going to come up with reasons again, as a mother, that responsibility factor, not to do it, but to just, Mm -hmm. um, just package it in such a way that you recognize that's a beautiful part of who she is. You're so excited for that to continue on. I've made it possible. Go enjoy, you know, type of thing. It's a lot easier to be like, Oh yes, yes. Thank you so much. Um, and nine out of 10 times, I bet you're going to come, she's going to come back and it's just going to be, um, so healing for just the wellness of that relationship with your child and the marital relationship itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I, yeah, I appreciate that too, of like making it a positive, uh, of, of just a, a way of showing love mm-hmm. really, uh, to, to your spouse. So I think, uh, a beautiful way of approaching that for sure. So, um, I'm wondering, you know, we've talked a little bit about kind of these really close personal relationships, but I think the kind of the micro communities that people are in too, um, you know, we've, we've talked a a little bit about like our church community and, and what a wonderful place of support and encouragement that can be. But, you know, what, in what ways can um, our faith communities, our churches uh, be, attuned to or supportive of maternal mental health and, and just recognizing that, um, I, I think there's a, a beautiful overlap in mission there, you know, um, that, that churches can serve moms in this way. So I don't know, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think, um, one of the big ways I think is obviously just peer groups in general, um, recognizing that, um, yes, having a baby is often blissful, but sometimes it can feel really burdensome. Um, so I think just being aware that as much as we want to frame this in a positive, in a positive packaging, more or less, and approach it in such a joyful, um, time, it's not always like that. And to not impose upon the mom that it is, um, I think in our conversations, of course, being excited, but again, observation, just listening, making yourself available. Um, you know, I think one of the things I learned quickly with my first was, you know, as a church, and I say this in the best of ways, we can be so great to show up in the moment, um, showing up with a meal. I mean, uh, you know, I'm in the South here. I'm in the Atlanta area. So, I mean, if you get a casserole, like, I mean, that's the way we should love here. Um, lots and lots yeah. of casseroles yeah. and lots and lots of sugar. Um, but at a certain <laughs> point, you know, yes, meeting physical needs is huge. So important. Um, offering to care for a baby while the mother gets rest. Obviously, those are just well-known things that we can do. But being present as time passes is huge too. Um, I said my middle child, she did not sleep once until eight months. I did not get a full night's rest until eight months. (laughs) 
you talk about some wow. stress, you talk about some um, discouragement, you talk about um, just feeling inadequate, um, lots of feelings there. But, you know, at that point, you know, four weeks has passed postpartum and a lot of that support drains, um, not ill intentionally at all, but just recognizing again, what did we say? The perinatal period is a year. Um, we love to walk through parent. We love to walk alongside parents during the adolescent stage. You know, we love to be that support system or sounding board. Um, moms of new babies need that too. They need that for the longevity, not just your advice on teething ointment, um, but really just a listening ear and a observing eye, um, an eye that can support, Hey, yeah, you have a six month old, but you still may not be getting good sleep. Could I bring you a meal at that point and sit and chat? Um, could I, could I just do anything around the house or I would like to, that's another great thing to say. I would like to do such and such. May I do that? Um, instead of what do you need? Well, mom doesn't have the time to know what she needs. It's a terrible question. You're often going to get that. I'm fine. Um, and again, that's just perpetuating, perpetuating the issue. So really as the church is showing up long-term and not just, um, not only physically, but spiritually as well, just caring for the well-being of that family, that couple, offering them date nights, offering to be present, offering to give them time to connect. Because again, what's the greatest buffer? That marital relationship. So facilitating that for them to keep them in a well, in a well space. Um, so yeah. yeah. Just yeah. some thoughts. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. No, and and food is the love language in the Midwest too. It's hot. It's hot dish up hot here. Hot dish. Of okay. Course, but yeah. yes, casserole, <laughs> no. crockpot meal, the things you're getting down here. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, for sure. And um, and that's, yeah. Just thinking long term, uh, because yeah, in the immediate moment, everybody's paying attention. Mm-hmm. Everybody's thinking about that because it's a celebration, right? And people like to celebrate. Um, but what we're talking about is really sustained support, um, being you know brothers and sisters with one another, um, and and continuing to attend to to one another as a as a church community. And I yeah, so I appreciate those words of encouragement, um, and I like that. I would like to because you're absolutely right. What do you need? Nobody wants to feel like a burden to others or like oh I'm asking you for something. But but when something is offered, um, it's a lot it just makes an easier yes. Like, sure, that would be wonderful, you yeah. know, to accept that with with grace and, and appreciation for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm, I'm wondering, like, uh, you know, you said, I think, like, early on, it's hard to get moms into the counseling mm-hmm. room, right? Yeah. And, and so much of what we've talked about really, I think, supports, you know, resilience, uh, supports um, the protective factors like you were talking about, like good self-monitoring, checking in with yourself, having your spouse checking in with you, really supporting, normalizing a lot of these things. But um, and, and then we have the real needs where like mental health has been diminished mm-hmm. and uh, maybe professional services are warranted. Um, I know that uh, when I worked for the hospital system um, as a counselor, uh, this idea of integrated care was something that was still being developed. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was present in some locations where there might be a counselor on staff at an outpatient clinic or something like that, but that wasn't universal. And I, I don't think that it is now. So how do we, you know, from a, uh, just a, a, 
a person level, like break down some of the barriers that uh, might be present for people seeking out supportive help and, uh, and through professional services? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's important to remember that as we talk about maternal mental health, it is actually the most common complication following childbirth. Um, and I think that's incredibly yeah. freeing to recognize wow, we hear so much about, you know, all of the physiological, all the things that you might experience postpartum. I mean, you get a whole pamphlet on it. Your spouse knows, you know, not to massage the place in your leg if it hurts, you know, like all these things that, you know, like steps to take action steps to take. And yet there's not a ton of um, recognition or action steps provided to mothers um, to prepare them, to let them know ahead of time of what to expect. So I think to break down some of those barriers so that women feel more comfortable seeking out help if they're noticing things that are concerning, things that are lingering is first recognizing it is, I don't want to make it so common in the sense that we pass it off. But recognizing this is a very common, and I like to say complication, um, of just having a baby, um, of experiencing motherhood. So I think as much as we can normalize the fact that this does occur and that it is very treatable. I don't know any woman who would go around with a physiological ailment following birth that want to at some point reach out for help. You know, there's no reason to live that way, right? Um, right. So right. why should it be any different with our mental health? Um, so recognizing that I think is key. I think that also, as we talk about this topic, recognizing that there should not be a sense of shame or guilt, that stigmatization that somehow you're less than, um, somehow you're not meeting a standard or an expectation if you have these thoughts or these struggles or you're lacking maybe feelings towards your infant. Um, that That is not an area of weakness. It's not a it's not a perception on who you are. Again, that identity component. Um, it could be a variety of reasons. Again, we, I, oh gosh, a whole nother topic, but just, just the shifts that she's experiencing hormonally. Like that could be a very easy part that you meet with your OB and you address that and you find that, okay, let's get you on a level ground before you start, start doing this uphill battle. Like no reason to run uphill. Let's just get you on level ground here. And sometimes reaching out to your OB is a great step to do that. If you're experiencing any physical or psychological symptoms. Um, but I will say too, that like back to that component, um, some, I don't want to make a blanket statement. Some are very well equipped. Others are not. Um, a survey was done and a lot of, um, I hate to say this, but one, one OB said in a case study, um, I just don't have the skills or the abilities to meet that need. So it's easier not to address it. And that made me want to just, I mean, my eyes got so big. I think I hurt, but the fact of, you know, they are seeing so many women that to provide individualized care really does need to be passed off to a counselor, um, to a therapist who can help. So recognizing that there's no shame or guilt in discussing this with your OB, with your spouse, with someone that's close to you. Um, again, it's not a reflection on you not to have fear. A lot of women have this fear of, what are they going to do? What's going to be the action steps? Are they going to, am I going to be penalized? Am I going to be, um, I mean, women even think, could I lose my baby, you know, type of thing. And that's, 
that is not where mental health professionals are coming from. And you can speak into that 10 times more, but, um, that, that's not, that's not what the action step is going to be when you meet with someone. Um, the action step is focused on getting you well, getting you well. So you care, care well for your baby. Um, and then just a lack of disclosure again, that stigmatization, um, not wanting, you know, I think it was nearly six out of 10 women screening positive on the EPDS, which is a scale for screening for, um, postpartum depression had not spoken to a healthcare professional about their symptoms or concerns. Six out of 10 that screened positive. Like we just need to not have a fear of disclosure of letting that be known. Um, so then again, just as far as, um, knowing that it's treatable, knowing that you can get help, knowing that there are people out there who this is their passion is to help see you, see you well. Um, and there are different methods that they can use for that, um, different opportunities and different avenues for that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, back to kind of my, uh, professional experience, I, that I always felt very privileged, uh, in working with a new mom. Um, some of the referrals that I would get um, were either from a person's OB. Uh, sometimes it would be um, from the neonatal intensive care unit, uh, the NICU. Obviously, that's a really high stress yeah. time. And so I think they're a little bit more alerted, I guess, or kind of cognizant of that um, because trauma can happen as oh, part yeah. of that process as well. And and so I definitely got to work with some moms, some, some married couples as well that um, we're going through that. Um, and then other times it came actually through uh, the employee assistance program at the person's office of employment or their spouse's employment. And so they had this opportunity for some free counseling That's great. Uh, services. And it was just, it's an easy call. It's like, hey, I'd like to come in and visit with somebody. And a lot of that happens through telehealth now mm -hmm. too. A lot of, um, so it's super easy to connect where moms don't have to like, because I, I did have some, you know, they're bringing baby with yeah. them, you know, and so we're, we're sitting in the counseling session and, um, and I'm even saying, Hey, do you want me to hold her for a little while? You know, and I get yeah. to hold baby while we're visiting yes. it. You know, it's just, those were really special, yes. uh, times, yes. uh, for me in my clinical practice and in working with those new moms and, and working with, uh, couples with a new baby. Um, so I, I, I see that as an incredibly positive and uh, productive space uh, for people to be able to step into. And so that that's kind of my encouragement mm -hmm. too, just on the provider side, like um, to be able to contribute in that way is really, really meaningful. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it from the provider side, just that's, I mean, you're investing in a legacy right there. Um, and I think that's huge what you were saying too about the components of being very open to letting a mom feel welcome to attend to her baby during those counseling sessions, creating an environment where she feels comfortable, um, even facilitate time where if you need to pause to let her nurse or feed the baby, like that's very important, like not making her feel like this is an additional burden um, to her wellness. Um, so I think those are huge facilitating that that's known up front um, because that childcare, lack of transportation, those are huge issues that prevent women from getting in an office. And then, like you said, telehealth, um, depending on, you know, the severity of where a woman's at, there's great things like group sure. um, counseling that's available online and you mm -hmm. can get plugged into those local um, groups. Um, but yeah, telehealth does break down a lot of barriers. 
virus, thank goodness. I mean, I will, I am an old school person here as much as possible. I do. <laughs> I think that, um, you know, just that facilitating of a relationship when you can somehow meet in some form or another, just face to face is so helpful. Um, because there's a lot that, I mean, you and I, as we do this, we can see each other, but gosh, there's so much more mm-hmm. to being in a room, to being able to have those conversations, to see her dynamics with her child and to be able to even address that, um, from a clinical standpoint is immensely helpful. Um, but yeah, so many great options and by God's grace, technology does help us with that a lot. For sure. For sure. And, and what about, um, I guess this is kind of the, the resource part of our conversation too, because, um, I think there, then there's a bridge between this of, of like, um, okay, I'm listening to this, uh, conversation. This, this feels important to me and in my season or in the season of life that a loved one is in or somebody that I care about. Um, you know, if I want to, if I want to grow my own knowledge yeah. or if I want to access maybe some just informal support services, like what, what do you see as maybe kind of reputable or, or really constructive, um, yeah informal resources that people can access. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think this is so, again, a blessing of technology because how many women are going to find themselves at 11 o'clock at night, not able to reach out to a person, but the internet does provide us with a lot of great resources that can guide us, um, that can point us in the right direction and facilitate facilitate the help that we need. Um, So one that I always come back to, it's just called Postpartum Support International, um, PSI. Um, It is a treasure chest of um, just information. You've got everything from online group supports. Um, you've got where you can actually chat in a weekly call with a PSI expert regarding things that you might be having as far as symptoms, resources, treatment. Um, that can be a first line of recognizing um, disclosure that feels safe. There's some anim- anonymity there. Um, you even can find a provider through that resource. Um, they even have just a helpline, just a confidential helpline. And then they have all kinds of other things as far as, um, you know, blogs, overviews. Maybe you want to go into finding a little bit more about the symptoms, which we didn't even have a chance to talk about, just, you know, some of the specifics Mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. Um, But you can just kind of look over these, like, do I feel like I am struggling more with anxiety, which is a very prevalent topic and often actually misdiagnosed as depression, um, which shouldn't be, but you can kind of read through some of these things on your own and do some self-assessment. Um, but then also, and then this is a great one too, that I love for providers. They provide, um, training, they provide continuing education credits. Um, they even have a conference. There's a, I mean, it's just, it's probably my first line as far as resources. Yeah. Um, yeah, that sounds, amazing. it's great. It's really great. Yeah. And I'm totally, you know, some of the maybe um, authors that you referenced earlier and certainly this website, those kind of things, I'm going to link in, in the show notes for this episode. Perfect. So after, you know, folks are done listening, check out those those links, uh, go to those websites, uh, those kind of things. Yeah, definitely make sure that you, um, you know, take a screenshot, you bookmark them, a few others that we can then link to, but just postpartum progress. Um, this one, I love it because it's... Um, it's not as professional in some ways. It's very much from a woman who's kind of walked through this and then gathered all these professional resources. So it's a little bit, um, the website almost feels homey, if that makes sense when you look yeah. at it. Yeah, no, it um, does. So yeah, so I love Postpartum Progress. Um, the Blue Dot Project 
is another that we'll link um, that also provides testimonials. Man, to hear somebody else's voice can be so helpful and be like, they've walked through it too. Like I, I'm not alone. That is their own words and their own experiences. Oh, that can be hugely impactful. Um, and then there are several others that we can just talk about. Um, like you said, just in the notes um, that may provide, sure. you know, beneficial reading, um, even for some providers, um, Massachusetts General Hospital, they have a women's mental health. They have incredible articles, um, just some innovative um, research too on this topic. So, Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, you're, you're right, because I think, um, you know, providers uh, in the medical field, are they're just uh, their schedule is so full. Mm-hmm. It's really hard for them to attend to these things. I, I know that within mental health counseling, um, even marriage and family therapy training, like the, this topic of maternal mental health, it just gets, um, you know, touched on mm-hmm. really. And, 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 uh, unless you take like a specific class, like you were talking about, like counseling women or something like that, where it, it is a, zeroed in focus on a particular topic for a period of time. I think, yeah, this is, it doesn't have to be a specialty because I think lots of people can provide this kind of care and and, uh, do a good job at it, but it just takes a little extra time and attention to focus on getting the, the understanding and competencies for it because you're, you're absolutely right. Depression and anxiety can look super similar uh, but they are distinct, mm-hmm. and and it's important to distinguish those uh, so that the person's getting the best treatment possible. Yeah, yeah, it's so important. And just like you said, as professionals, like even in, I know that you've worked with a lot of children in your practice, and um, noting mm-hmm. so many, um, so many. I don't even want to say issues, but so many struggles that children have that actually relate back to the issues that mom has struggled through. Um, so being able to again address mm-hmm. this preemptively, I mean, we could do a world of good as we look at mental health, even just the rate of adolescents, um, who sh- I believe I don't have the exact statistic, but it's that they are at about 4% or four times higher rate of depression during adolescence if their mother had depression. Um, so just recognizing like, again, you don't have to be specially trained, but as we seek to love others with the love of Christ, that includes giving of ourselves to find time to educate ourselves well, um, with quality resources and, um, steps that we can use to apply to help these women help these moms. Yep. 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 Absolutely. Elizabeth, it has been so much fun getting to catch up and visit with you. Yes, again. It's, it was a privilege to get to meet you at the conference and, and, uh, doing this podcast. Uh, yeah, I, I just feel really blessed, uh, to be able to have this, uh, time with you. Thank you so much. It has been such a pleasure and I'm so thankful for it. A huge thanks to Elizabeth for joining me in the WellMind community. We appreciate your insights. Uh, Many thanks to all of you for spending your time with me today. If you enjoyed our conversation, please check out previous episodes, click rate and subscribe through your podcast app, and just generally let people know about the WellMind. Maybe share this episode with someone you think might enjoy giving it a listen. Be sure to check out the links in the show notes for all the resources and information Elizabeth referenced during our discussion. Many thanks to the staff, specifically Alex, here in the Bethany Lutheran College podcast studio. I appreciate all that you do in support of the WellMind. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, be well.